Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. All righty. Well, good morning, Christ Community Church. Morning to everyone online. Uh, hope everyone is doing well and, and staying safe. So, um, I don't know what you've been doing with your downtime during the uh, pandemic. Um, I have started, restarted my doctoral studies, and, and uh, so I've got seminars in Acts and other stuff coming up. And, and, but I tend to like study for like 45, 50 minutes, then take a 10-minute break, and then study 45, 50 minutes, take a 10-minute break. And when I take breaks, I typically listen to podcasts. And I listen to all kinds of different podcasts, but one of the ones I was listening to yesterday, the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, and they were talking to the new president of a uh, Presbyterian seminary down in Greenville, South Carolina. It's a Presbyterian Church of America. They're one of the two Presbyterian denominations that haven't strayed from God's word. They've, they've stayed firm. But he said this. He said that their denomination is expecting a severe pastor shortage by 2025 uh, to the point where they don't know what they're going to do because in that denomination, you have to be trained to be a pastor. You can't just come up and say, I got converted on Saturday night. I'm called to preach on Sunday morning. They don't work that way. You have to go be seminary trained. You have to go learn Greek and Hebrew and church history and all that kind of stuff. I happen to agree with that. But what we're looking at is a severe shortage of people even interested in the ministry. And we're seeing the church in North America, not worldwide, but in North America kind of shrink anyway, especially among younger generations. Now, that's not happening in China, even though it's underground. That's not happening in North Korea, even though that also is underground. In Iran and in Africa and so forth, the church is actually exploding. It's here and in Europe that there are problems. And I think if I had to take an educated guess, the reason for that problem is this. When you look around churches that are labeled evangelical, that means conservative. They believe the Bible is the Word of God. When you look around, you see, generally speaking, two types of churches. The first church is what they call seeker-sensitive. Now, there's nothing wrong with with welcoming seekers, but the problem is what they do is preaching in that kind of strain becomes kind of life coaching with Bible verses sprinkled on it. You know, six weeks on how to fix your marriage, four more weeks on how to raise your kids, six weeks on how to deal with your budget, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And they just quote a Bible verse here and there, and they don't dig into the Word of God. And the problem with that is that the message that you send to young people is what? They sit there and say, Jesus loves you, and now he wants you to get your act together, and here's how. And they leave the church going, well, okay, Jesus loves me. Why do I need to go to church if I can listen to Dave Ramsey or watch Dr. Phil and, and so forth? No need. On the other wing of that, you have denominations that have bought into a system so you have, like, for example, you have certain Baptist churches who buy into the London Baptist Confession. 
You have Presbyterian churches that buy into the Westminster Confession. And they're so doctrinaire about their confessions and creeds that it sends a signal that you can't question it. And of course, if you look at attitudes, and Megan and I have done this, if you look at attitudes of Gen X, Y, and Z, and there's a famous leadership book on this, it always pushes this, start with why. And a lot of confessions and creeds say, this is how it is, and this is what the Bible says, and that's all well and good. But then a lot of young people go, yeah, yeah but why? And if you just blindly memorize stuff like that, you're like, I don't know. Or worse, you don't welcome questions at all. And what we've tried to do here at Christ Community Church, and, and, and we don't always do it as well as we should, is we're saying, okay, it's good to have doctrines. You have to have doctrines. You, you, you just have to. You read the Bible, you're going to come away with some things that are just true. God clearly claims the Bible is his word, that Jesus is his son, that God is three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit, that the only way to the Father is through Christ, that he will come again. Those are doctrines, and those are clearly laid out in Scripture. I affirm all those, celebrate all those, preach and teach all those, but then when somebody comes to you and go, yeah, but why? You, the only two answers are really this. I'll find out. I don't know, but I'll find out. Or let's go look, and here is a possible answer. But to just say, as many do, just have faith, you're just not having faith, and to shut them down, eventually you're going to shut them out. And that's a problem. And that's a serious, serious problem. I, one of the reasons I left the church as a teenager was I had questions and I wasn't getting answers. And my questions were, at least most of the time, sincere. And so, one of the things I'm going to do this morning is this. We're going to look at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ in Luke 26, or 23, 26 through 56. Luke 23, 23 through 56. Now, you have heard me preach on this before. Those of you who have been here, been, you know, who, who have been here, now watching online. And typically what I do is I go into pretty graphic detail about the crucifixion. In fact, several years ago after I preached a pretty graphic description of the crucifixion, which by the way, if you've seen the Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, that's a watered-down version of what happened. Because first of all, Jesus was naked. But I'm not going to do that this morning, one, because kids are here and online, I'm not going to go into all that and give them nightmares. One lady claimed I did give her nightmares after preaching about the crucifixion. She said, don't do it again. I said, sorry. But this morning, I want to talk more about why the crucifixion. Why did Jesus go to the cross? And I'm not talking about just a pat answer of to save us from our sins. We need to go a little deeper than that because the Bible does. And what I'm going to argue this morning is this. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ changed everything. It changed everything. It changed who we should be when we come to faith. It changed who could come to faith, as we'll see when we get to the book of Acts. 
It changed eternity itself. It changed everything. So let's dig in. 23, 26. So when they led him away, the they being the soldiers, him being Jesus, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene. I want you to note that. Why would Luke go out of his way to tell you a guy the soldiers are grabbing to help Jesus carry his cross? And by the way, he needed help carrying his cross because of massive blood loss. Because they had whipped him with a cat of nine tails probably we don't know how many times. And typically when that happens, you just suffered from massive amount of blood loss. It's who he's very weak. Why would Luke say, oh, his name was Simon of Cyrene? Here's what Luke does. He does this in Luke and Acts. He typically, because if you remember when we started Luke all the way back 23 chapters ago, Luke says, I wrote this gospel, I put it together carefully, I investigated evidences, I interviewed eyewitnesses. So typically scholars believe when he names somebody, that's one of his eyewitnesses. And not only that, Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark says Simon was the father of Rufus. Why does Mark tell us Simon was the, the father of Rufus? Because in the 16th chapter of Romans, Paul says, Send my greetings to Rufus and his mother. She's been a mother to me. You see? These are people the church would have known. So Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country, and placed him on the cross to carry behind Jesus. And following him was a large crowd of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus turning to them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop crying for me. Cry for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, the breasts that never nursed, then they would begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? Now, what does he mean by that? Here's what Jesus means by that. First of all, he has said before in Luke, he's saying that within a generation, I will come again. He did not mean he would come again for some kind of rapture and that kind of stuff. He says, I will come again in judgment. And in judgment upon Jerusalem. Now, we believe that Jesus was crucified somewhere around 30 A.D. The Jews believed that a generation was 40 years. And 70 A.D., exactly 40 years later, Jerusalem was destroyed. And so he's saying, look at what they will do when the Spirit of God is here among you, think of what they will do when it's not. Two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the Skull, some of you have been to Jerusalem, have been there, you've seen that. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, or dice, dividing up his clothes among themselves. And the people stood by looking on. And the rulers 
were making fun of him, saying, Oh, he saved others. Well, let him save himself if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also made fun of him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was even an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. Pilate meant that as an insult. Ironically, of course, we know it's true. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. I think he was more concerned with the us. But the other answered, rebuking him, saying, Do you not even fear God? You're under the same sentence of condemnation, but we are suffering justly. We're receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I want you to notice this in verse 43. And he said to them, truly I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. He does not say, today you will be with me in heaven. The word for heaven and the word for paradise are not the same. They are not Greek synonyms. That's not what he is saying. I'll make a difference here in a minute. Just keep that back of your mind. Now it's now about the sixth hour, that means around noon. And darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. The sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Now why would that happen? The veil of the temple separated the holy of holies where you would go meet the presence of God. Now that Jesus has taken on the punishment for sins on the cross, you don't go to the holy holies of the temple to meet God. You go directly to Jesus Christ. The temple curtain had no purpose anymore. In fact, as Jesus says, the temple had no purpose anymore. He is the temple. We'll get more than that when we get to Acts. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion, that's a soldier, saw what had happened, he began praising God and saying, certainly this man was righteous. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. That's a Jewish way of showing sadness. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance seeing these things. Now notice something. The women who followed Jesus throughout his ministry, they are there. Where are the men? The women are all going once again, duh. The women are there. The men have fled, most of them. And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews who was waiting the kingdom of God. Now, again, why would he give so much detail about an incidental character? Luke is telling his readers, I talked to this guy. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth, and he laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever laid. It was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfume, but it was the Sabbath, so they rested according to the command. All right. That's the what. Let's talk about the why. 
Why was Jesus crucified? The Bible says in several different places. If you own an older Bible, like a King James maybe, or a New American Standard, or something like that, you will come to verses like Hebrews 2.17 that says that Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. Now, I'm not assuming anybody here knows what that means because when was the last time anyone used the term propitiation? It's an old word. But it means this. Propitiation means to put anger away. To appease anger. So if Jesus was putting away anger, whose anger was he putting away? God's. He was putting away the anger of God. Now, it used to be when I was growing up, and I grew up watching the Reds when they actually won games, and the Bengals when they actually went to the Super Bowl and were robbed both times. And when I would watch, what would you see, for those of you who remember up in the stands, you would always see one Bible verse, right? John 3, 16. You don't see it anymore. You see it all the time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, right? All right. But few people read beyond that in the rest of John to see what Jesus has to say. So in this, John 3, 36, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, notice this, but the wrath of God remains on him. Do you see what Jesus is saying there in John? If you don't believe in me, and part of belief is obedience that comes through the gift of the Holy Spirit, if you do not believe in me or obey me, the wrath of God remains on you, which means it was there beforehand. If you're a Christian who has come to faith, do you understand that when you came to faith, the anger of God was removed from you? Why? It was thrown onto the Son at the cross. And if that had not been done, you would still be under wrath. Now, Again, to go back to churches, this is a problem with a lot of churches. In most churches, 99.9% of what I hear is, God loves you, Jesus loves you, God loves you, Jesus loves you, God loves you, Jesus loves you. That is true. However, the Bible speaks as much, if not more, about God's anger towards sin and wrath at the rebellion of his creation, then it does his unconditional love. Now, John Wesley, when he was running around America, he would go and he would preach for hours. And he would spend 90% of his time going, you're dead, you're going to hell, God hates your sin. And he would do that for two hours and 50 minutes. In the last 10 minutes, he'd go, but Jesus loves you. Okay, now, that's probably too much 
over here. I kind of prefer it, but I get it. But can we not at least get a 50-50 balance? Too many people have left the church because they have heard nothing but God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. To the point where they think they, they're like teenagers who treat their parents badly and they think they can get away with it. Jesus himself says, if you do not believe in me and obey me, the wrath of God remains on you. And you have no hope. Propitiation. Putting away the wrath of God. That's the first thing that happened on the cross. But it doesn't end there. You may have seen this. I've seen this in 21 years of ministry. You see people who come to faith. They're explained that Jesus has paid the penalty for their sins. They're happy for that. But they still struggle with the stupid things they've done in life. They can't let go of the guilt. And too often, they have family members who won't let them. And yet... The Bible says Jesus not only propitiated for us, he expiated for us. That's a fancy word that means he has cleansed us from the stain of sin and all guilt. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle John writes in 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you see that? To put away the anger, but also to take away the guilt. If you have truly repented and come to faith, not only have your sins been paid for, the guilt should be gone. And my wife and I have been talking about this. As we encounter people like this all the time, they call themselves Christians, and then they're constantly down and depressed and all this other kind of stuff, and they're, I'm so unworthy, and I'm so, and I want to say, yeah, you are unworthy, but look how much you're loved, and look what Jesus has done for you, and you've been cleansed, and if, G if God himself sees you as cleansed from sin, what are you doing? It's arrogance to look at someone, anyone, including yourself, in any other way than God sees you. Because only he sees correctly. That's the second thing that happened on the cross. The third thing was this. Historically, theologians have called it Christus Victor. That means Christ's victory. Christ on the cross paid for the penalty of sins, cleansed us from sin, but then also freed us from sin. He defeated Satan on the cross. Jesus' defeat over Satan does not begin when he returns and judges. It's already begun because he's already forming a people for himself who are no longer slave to sin, do not need to be slave to sin because of what has happened on the cross. He's already won a victory. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 6, 14, For sin shall not be master over you, 
For you are not under law, but under grace. Now we saw this two weeks ago when I preached about Peter. How does Jesus lay this out before Peter? He says, Peter, I've prayed for you, now you go pray. This is a mysterious way that God works that I cannot fully explain. Other than the Bible affirms it. God says this. I have given you the ability to free yourself from sin, but you must take part of the grace I have extended to you in worship, in study, in prayer, maybe even in fasting, in giving. I don't know how many times I quit counting. People who have come into my office over the last couple decades and have said, Matt, I I just cannot get rid of this particular sin. I struggle with it and struggle with it. I just can't get rid of it. Okay? Well, when Andrew or Eddie or Megan or somebody's up here and they're, and Ralph, they're up here leading worship, are you worshiping? Well, I, once I finish my donut. Well, are you giving? Well, I can't. Well, are you studying Scripture? Well, every once in a while I look at one of the devotionals. That's not study, by the way. Are you praying? Every once in a while. Well, we don't need Sherlock or Monk to solve this mystery, now do we? God has given you grace. You're not taking it. You're not taking it. Now, this next one. This is where people get really confused. I got this question just last week, but I've had it I don't know how many times. Matt, the Bible says Jesus will return and judge the living and the dead, but my husband, daughter, uncle, grandfather, whatever, they were a Christian, they've already gone to heaven, they, they face some kind of second judgment? The answer is no. But you need to follow something here. So we're going to run through this. Here's what you need to understand first. Before Jesus went to the cross, rose again, and was ascended, no one went to heaven. No one. You say, where'd they go? The Hebrews called it Sheol, the place of the dead. It was divided into two areas. For the righteous... Those who were loyal to the one true God, it was called, you ready for this? I told you to remember, paradise. It was also known as Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side. On the other side, for the unrighteous, was Hades. And this is where the dead went. Now, if you don't believe me, let me throw some, this at you. 
I can throw some scholars at you if you want. There are a couple of really good books on this. You can read Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright if you want. There's an entire chapter in a book by an Australian theologian named Michael Byrd who wrote a book called Evangelical Theology. Evangelical is just a fancy word for conservative. Which, I got to tell you this story real quick before we move on. Uh, my wife's ministry, she interviews people. She interviewed Michael Byrd, the, the Australian that I was talking about. And his stuff is well, well worth reading, but he's Australian. He hasn't spent a whole lot of time in America. And it showed when Megan interviewed him. She tried to explain to him where she was. Portsmouth. Oh, near Akron, Cleveland? No. You know, she was trying to, so she said, just under, this way, she basically said to him, look, I'm a hillbilly. He responded, oh, I know what that means, poor white trash. She said, no, I'm not poor white trash. And he goes, no, you know, like Tiger King. She goes, I'm not like a character in Tiger King. Oh, you got to cut him some slack. He's Australian, and that was funny, and I've gotten a lot of mileage out of that since. Um, but he's got a great chapter on this. But let me take you to Jesus' own words in Luke 16, 19 through 26. You've heard this before, but I want you to pay attention to the terms that were used. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off. And Lazarus at his side, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus in like minor manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able to, and none may cross from there to us. Same place, see each other, divided. One in anguish, one in paradise. See the difference? That's Sheol, the place of the dead. That's where everyone went when they died before Jesus was crucified on the cross. No one went to heaven. Why? Because no one can enter. No created being made in the image and likeness of God can enter into the throne room of God unless their sins have been paid for. And I don't care if that's Moses or Abraham or David or who, it doesn't matter. They all still sinned. Somebody had to pay the price for them. And what does Jesus say to the thief? Today you will be with me in paradise. There are some people out there, there are some Christian denominations that said Jesus went to hell for three days. No, he didn't. He went to paradise. What was he doing there? He was preaching to the righteous, to Abraham, to Elijah, to David, to Moses, to all of them. Your penalty has been paid. It is time for you to ascend with me to the throne room of God. 
that's what's going on. Now, some of you who have read your Bibles go, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Matt. The Old Testament says that Elijah and Enoch never died, and in fact, Elijah was taken up in a chariot of fire. Well, this is true, but it does not say where he was taken up to. Heaven is not up there somewhere on the dark side of the moon, folks. It's another dimension, if you will. And Jesus himself said, says this in John 3, 13. No one, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That means no one. Enoch and Elijah did not taste death, but they were taken to paradise because their sins still had to be paid for. Now, but I want you to understand this. Paradise in this place of Sheol no longer exists. Now, if you have faith in Jesus Christ and you die, you go to heaven because your sins have been paid for. Now, there are some good folks out there, and they are good folks, who argue that what happens to us is that when we die, we go to sleep and we wait for Jesus' return. The problem is the Bible doesn't teach that. The Apostle Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 5.8. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Well, what does he mean to be away from the body? He says this in Philippians 1, 21 through 24. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I love that Paul's in prison. And he thinks he has a choice whether or not he can live or die. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. The flesh, the Greek word, means sarx. There were two words for body. One was soma, one was sarx. When Paul says sarx, he means the stuff that doesn't survive the grave. In other words, when you put sarx in the grave... The person, the suke, the soul is gone. Where is it? Paul says, with the Lord. Because the cross changed that. The cross changed that. Now, you need to understand that if you are a Christian, I hope you all are. I'm not assuming that you are, but if you... And if you're not, you need to talk to me. But if you are, you go to heaven when you die. You don't stay there. And the Bible is clear about that as well. You will return with Jesus to what the Bible calls the new heavens and new earth. And when you return to this new heavens and new earth, you're not floating around like one of those angels in a Tom and Jerry cartoon. 
you get a new body, one that is not Sarks, but Soma. Here's what Paul says, Philippians 3, 20 through 21. Our citizenship is in heaven, that means our loyalty, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He says we will inherit a body like his glorified body. His glorified body was his resurrected body. Now let me ask you, for those of you who have read your Bible, could they touch Jesus? Did the apostles touch Jesus? Say yes. Did Jesus eat? Yeah. He shows up on the beach one day and goes, I'm hungry. Got any fish? And Paul says that's the kind of body we'll get. But at the same time, notice this. At first, they don't recognize him when he comes out of the grave. Why? Because in a glorified body, all those years of walking around Galilee and swinging a hammer all the calluses and all the wrinkles and, and all that stuff and the dried skin and all that kind of stuff, gone. Gone. Exactly, yay. <laughs> gone. That's the kind of body Paul says we will get. But before we get that, there is judgment. There is judgment. And this is where we talk about the judgment of the living and the dead and what's going on, Hades and what's going on there. And this is how I'll wrap up. In Revelation, the book of Revelation 20, 10 through 21, 4, the apostle John writes this. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now notice that. At judgment day, Satan is thrown into hell. Satan is not in hell. This is the Bible, not South Park. Satan is not walking around as the king of hell or lord of hell. And by the way, he doesn't want to go there. He's not going to reign in hell either. He's going to be tormented. It's what it says. Why do you think Satan's demons beg Jesus when he, when he casts them out of people? Please don't cast us. It's not the day. It's not the day. Why? They're scared to go to hell. Verse 11, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was given in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades, notice that again, gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. When Jesus says, I will judge the living and the dead, he means when he returns, he will judge the living here and the dead in Hades. Not those in heaven with him. They return with him. And then notice this. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. There it is. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. That doesn't mean there won't be an ocean. The sea was a symbol in Judaism of evil and chaos. It means no more evil or chaos. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, listen to this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Do you see what happened on the cross now? Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, your sins are paid for. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, you've been cleansed from your sins. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, you're no longer a slave to sin. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, you don't go to some place called paradise. You go directly to heaven. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, you don't stay there. You return with him and you receive a glorified body and you will be with God for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. All because of the cross. The cross changes everything. Everything. It is where the wrath of God towards sin and his love of people, even when they were sinners, comes together. It meets at the cross. But one last thing, and I'll quit. I have spent a lot of time over the years preaching about salvation by grace alone through faith alone. And I believe that with all my heart. But I need you to understand something that I have not pointed out as well as I should. Your salvation by grace alone through faith alone is not the center of the Christian faith. It is not. Because to do that would make people the center of the Christian faith. And the Christian faith is not about the creature, but the creator. The new heavens and new earth is not just about us getting an eternal body. It's about Jesus finally getting the kingdom he deserved and hasn't had since Genesis 2. The other problem with the church today, and one of the reasons we're losing so many people, is we make it all about us. It's not about us. It's about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. You may go to heaven, or you may live long enough to see Jesus return. But when that happens... If that's all you've thought about, you're going to be a little shocked to see who's on the throne and who's giving the orders. It ain't going to be you. It's about his kingdom that he is gracious and loving enough to let us be a part of. It's all about God. It's all about God. 
I know, and I know there are people watching this via live stream who think that this sounds like science fiction. But I want you to know something. I am by nature a skeptic. I'm a skeptic. I don't believe in Bigfoot. I think that would be cool, but I don't think it exists. I don't believe in UFOs. I don't believe in ghosts. I've told, I have friends who go on ghost hunts. I think they're crazy. They said, oh, if you just saw, saw what? I said, I've seen some of these TV shows. Ooh, I feel something cold. That's called a draft. I'm a skeptic. I've seen so many things, so many conspiracy theories on Facebook these days by people I love to death, but I'm like, go, go buy yourself a tinfoil hat, man. I mean, come on. I'm a skeptic. But I believe this with all my heart. One day, and I don't know when that day is, and neither do you, the trumpets will sound, the sky will part, the true king of the universe will reveal himself to all, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And until then, we serve his kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the cross. You had been fully just, just left us to our own devices. You have saved us, but you have saved us for a purpose, not just for our own salvation and our own eternity, but to worship you, to serve you, to honor you, to glorify you. Only you are pure, just, and right, and all-powerful. And so every day, may we thank you for every moment of life we get, but more importantly, may we seek to serve you and give you that honor and glory in any way we possibly can, because only you deserve it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. God go with you. Lord willing, I'll see you next time. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.